Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12 through 25 and the life of Abraham. Well, Jonathan, we are, uh, we're, I don't know, are we about halfway through this, this uh, season? It's, it's got to be close. I, 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 <laughs> I think it's close. And this, what we're going to do with this particular podcast is, and I, I don't want people to think we're skipping around, but we are skipping around. We, we just are planning to pick up uh, chapters 15 and 17 at a later point in this podcast. So you're going to find it like, what happened to chapter 17 if you're out there? Because we just did chapter 16. Well, it's coming. It's coming. But today, we're going to pick up just the first half of, of chapter 18. So Genesis 18, 1 to 15. And this is a notable podcast. So the, the, I think the very best way to listen to this thing is with an open Bible and an open heart. And what we're trying to do is just um, share the notes that are on our hearts. Did I get that right, Jonathan? Yeah, you, you asked me where we were at, and I was about to reply. Um, I'm not the right person to answer that question. I don't even know what time of day it is because we're working 24-7 at our house with twins right now. Yeah. We're, just, <laughs> we're just doing it. <laughs> so um, I, got, I got some dad brain going on, but we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. And uh, we got some, some really cool stuff here today. Genesis 18 is a real treat. Um, I want to I want to go into it like this, Timothy. Um, my favorite zoo animal is um, I think it might be the otter. The otter. <laughs> oh, okay. I like wow. otters a lot. Okay. Uh, they they help me meditate on uh, laughter and playfulness. I always feel like when I'm watching otters that. Uh, they have a sparkle in their eye and they are just having so much fun. And I think that um, there's a lot of things we can, uh, we can see uh, as we meditate on God's creation. Um, God is so much greater, but uh, God puts a glint in our eye, a sparkle and laughter in our hearts. And there is just a huge motif here of laughter and I hope that gets our audience just just thinking about that today. Yeah, I mean, basically, correct me if I'm wrong, Johnson, but we want to laugh today. <laughs> we will. And I, this is this isn't a story about an otter, but it, it this is a just a brief anecdote about the the necessity, the power, the importance of laughter in life. You can read the studies online, like Google. Um, Laughter is the best medicine. I, I don't know. That's a that's a huge claim. I don't know if it's the best medicine. It is a medicine. You might even call it a good medicine. But I heard a pastor tell this story that um, 
this is sad. This isn't this isn't laughing material, but it is powerful that in my city here in New York, there's a cabaret singer who took her own life. And um, they interviewed the friends in, in our local papers. And uh, one of the friends said she had lost her ability to laugh. She had lost her ability to laugh. So when you're not able to laugh, like it, when you're so overcome by whatever it is that's happened in your life, the, the anxiety, like Jesus says, the anxieties, the, the pressures of life, then something's actually gone horribly wrong. And that's what happened to Sarah. Sarah, like she, something had gone wrong in her life. And she's going to, at, at the beginning here, she's going to laugh for all the wrong reasons. Like we'll talk about that. But then at the end, God's going to transform her where she's able to laugh, um, the lighthearted laugh of faith. So th- we do have to do some things along the line, though. <laughs> yeah, we do. We have a like, lot of we, work to do. We, yeah, like we, we want to talk about marriage. I know today that that's in there. It's, I, I, I don't think it's, it's the major thing, but marriage is um, here, hospitality fellowship it's all here so take it away jonathan what are we doing first well i want to start in verses one through eight and read it and then make some initial comments about these verses so here's the story the lord appeared to abraham near the great trees of mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three sias of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. So, so a lot of details here, a lot of details that, that Moses gave us. Uh, We can't unpack all of them. I do want to point out some of them. Here we find Abraham in a a very typical, um, could we call it an oriental um, pose. It's very, very hot. And when it's very, very hot, it's a very, very good idea to take a siesta. It does seem like, you know, you're just kind of sitting there um, at the entrance to a tent. This this is um, God's air conditioning. You know, the winds are blowing in the heat of the day. You're not under the, under the rays of the sun. And it seems like um, Abraham wasn't quite snoozing, but he does seem like he was meditating. Um, and so um, we are, this is what we're told in the text that he looked up. Now, this is, you could make a lot of that. I, I'm not sure that we should. I think that 
what Moses does here is he tells us, he's, he's letting us know that this is actually quite spontaneous for Abraham. It's actually quite spontaneous. Spontaneous reactions um, have a tendency to reveal our truest character, if I could put it like that. Um, if Abraham had seen him far off, he would have had a long time to think about the moral implications of somebody coming um, in, in this hot, arid region. Um, they had been walking for quite some time. We are told um, that this, you know, this is the heat of the day. So they've been walking probably since morning and they would have needed an oasis. And Abraham would have had time to think about the moral implications of these people approaching. He doesn't. He, it seems like he's meditating. He's off in his own thoughts. All of a sudden he looks up, boom, it hits him. There's people here. Whoa, there's people here. What am I going to do? So it, it does seem we're going to get a, a true revelation of Abraham's character here because of the spontaneous nature of this interaction. Then you, we can notice like one of the verbs that we get throughout the section is hurry. Abraham is on a mission. The other thing is he's very humble. So he goes up to them. It's like his postures here are incredible. Like we see him bowing. We see him standing off to the side under a tree while everybody else is eating. So he's a very humble man, even to the point where he says, he says in verse three, um, he says, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by, let a little water be brought. So he, let me get you something to eat. So um, he totally undersells what he's about to do, totally undersells it. Um, he says, I got this meager little bit of bread. <laughs> I got a little something, something, maybe not much. And then he ends up bringing out fine wine and steak, if I could put it in modern terms. Uh, but this is, this is what, just revealing who Abraham is characteristically here. He turns into butler. He turns into servant. Um, he turns into like the ultimate host, Timothy, in this section. And I, we could go through more of the details here that are so sweet and so wonderful. The washing of the feet is so reminiscent of another scene in the Bible, for example. And um, the like the curds and the milk makes makes me think about how much I love Culver's cheese curds <laughs> and the richness of of this kind of meal. That's but, such a um, Midwestern thing to say, by the way. <laughs> it totally is. Guilty as charged. We yeah. do not even know what Culver's is around here. So. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it is interesting. One of the one of the things, and we can. There's a tension in here, is in a question that would come to your mind: Is did Abraham know? Did he know who these guys are? Did he did he know that one of them is the Lord and that these are two angels? And the NIV translation kind of leaves that question up in the air and it leaves a footnote that um, maybe maybe Abraham says, my Lord, but Lord with, with lowercase, uh, or it could be Lord uppercase where he, he recognized who these guys are. I think either way, either way, it doesn't really um, change. And we're going to find out that this guy knows way too much to not be God, um, that this is the Lord. So Abraham shows incredible hospitality here, and we learn a lot about his character. But Jonathan, I don't want to just talk about Abraham here. He, 
a phenomenal um, act of hospitality. I also want to talk about God because it, what it says, this is, this is theophonic. This is a God appearance. It says the Lord appeared to Abraham. So it, it not only reveals Abraham's character, it reveals God, who he is. And what God does, and, and by the way, like, there's two narratives that are definitely stitched together. One is God visits Abraham, and the next one he's gonna, he's going to visit Sodom. The outcomes are are very different, and the reception of God is very different. So Abraham receives God one way, Sodom and Gomorrah receive God and his angels in a different way. Um, the Lord's character is that even though Abram Abraham is a sinner and he's revealed himself to be one to us over and over again, God eats with him and he fellowships with him. I mean, this is, is there, is there a better way of showing just how intimate and close uh, we can be in relationship with God than, than to have a meal with him? This is huge. This is, we can eat with God. That's what that means. So I want to I want to build on your comments in two ways. First of all, uh, I want to stay on the Abraham side of the side of this um, meal, and just give our listeners a reminder that obliquely, uh, Hebrews chapter thirteen. I love this how the writer, oh, right. the holy writer, references this, and he says, you know, it's possible you might just entertain angels and. Everybody knows, like, it's it's so oblique, but everybody knows it's talking about this story. Like, hey, hey, Christians, you might just be entertaining an angel. And it, and I just I just love that. Um, I think it's good for us to think about like it. It 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 makes you think twice about who you uh, think you might just be bumping into when you bump into a stranger. <laughs> you might just think twice about who you're talking to in high V. Um, and I, that's really the point. Like um, it's a rhetorical um, move that really sticks in your mind. Like you think you know who you're talking to, but you might not. <laughs> you, right. might, you, you might have a couple of angels in, in disguise. Um, this is what Abr- Abram has happened here. And so uh, if we stay for a second on the, on the Abraham side of the story, there's, there is a moral to this story, at least to the front half the, of, of what we're dealing with today. The moral of, of this story is that God calls us to hospitality. And here, um, these details are given to us in Holy Scripture, um, I think, as an example for us um, to follow, to care for people who are complete strangers to us and love them. In fact, one one thing we can think about is if if I'm if if what we've suggested here is right that here we get a spontaneous revelation of Abraham's um, character. Um, that's also true in our lives that we probably we probably we probably don't know our truest selves by how we act with people who love us back. We probably don't see our truest character. Um, when maybe we're at church and um, there, there is some social pressure, hope, hopefully to act as a Christian. Um, but probably 
our truest self is revealed when nobody else is watching and you are dealing with a complete stranger. What are you going to do? Are you going to roll out the red carpet like Abraham or are you going to avert your eyes and not care? So yeah, then, there's, there's, a moral, there's a moral part of the story. And so I'm staying on the front end and then I got some st stuff on the back end. But what are you going to say? What are you going to say about well, that? Well, I mean, it, modern culture is so changed, Jonathan. I, I'm just thinking out loud on this. But who would we invite in our homes to enjoy a meal? The circle is really small for many people. Like the circle is really small. And, you know, not to cut anyone slack, but I think this is also a reflection that one, of, at least something that I'm thinking about here in New York, like there's so many strangers. There's so many strangers. And you wonder like, how could I even show this kind of hospitality? Um, and I, I just wonder if this was a strange occurrence for Abraham. Those, those are just kind of thoughts out loud, but not to undo or um, unwind anything that we've said. But it's, I think it's uh, all of these things are things that we, we need to think about. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, and Luther goes along, you're saying, line sympathy for what it's worth. He makes some comments about how um, this can be more difficult today. Everybody thinks culture back then was so incredibly barbaric and people were so awful to each other back then. Actually, um, back in those times, this was, uh, and the commentators will talk about this, this is very common. People were very courteous to each other, very gentle. Um, this, this was um, even expected in some regard that if you're coming along, that um, people would help each other. People would help each other. It's only to, in today's culture where it's generally accepted now, where you just assume somebody else is going to take care of it. Somebody else is going to do it. Um, and th these are challenging thoughts for us to work, you know, moral things we have to work through as Christians. How are we going to care for people who are complete strangers to us? But on the, here's the backside. Here's the backside to us. Like, uh, there is a moral, there's a, there's a moral part to this story. And the writer of the Hebrews does, does draw that out and especially applies it to as, as we love other Christians. But here, um, we, I want to just move into like what I call a soteriological or a salvation focus here, um, because I, I don't, I don't think that we get all of these details and, and such a complete report of this meal simply so that we get a moral lesson. I actually think that the main point of it is what you, you pointed out is that God actually showed up. In fact, um, there's one commentator that points out very correctly and incisively that here we have um, in Genesis chapter 18, the only recorded instance, just get this, think about this. This is the only recorded instance uh, in, the, uh, in the entire Bible, aside from what happens in the incarnation, where God actually eats with people. So this is a very big, the other times God accepts food from people. It, it gets burned up in, an, in a burnt offering or something like that. But here actually God eats the food. In fact, the church fathers um, talk about, well, how is this possible that God, God who is a spirit eats? And they, and they really think about that. So for example, they, 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 they talk about how the, um, it's, it's, it, God doesn't eat by necessity. Like we do, we eat by necessity. 
um, like the earth drinks in the water by necessity, what the church fathers point out, that he does it by his power, sort of like the sun warms the earth um, by its power. And so they they make these philosophical distinctions just to, to be in awe at the fact that God here actually takes the time to fellowship and eat a meal as if Timothy, and this is huge, he is Abraham's perfect friend. There, I we learn a lot about Abram, Abraham's character, and a lot about God's character here. It's I, to think about a God who breakfasts with us or siestas with us is is the the way that God is relational, that He is imminent. You know, all all of these different things. And I got one last this, thing. Don't move on. Don't move on on me. I got one last thing. <laughs> <laughs> we got to laugh. Tell. Today. <laughs> I got one okay. last thing. I think we'd be negligent not to point this out. Meals with God continue today. And here's what here's what we have to remember. God is about to make an incredible promise and he wants us to believe it. But the way that he precedes it is he fellowship meals with us. Except in the New Testament, he enhances it. Here in, here in the Old Testament, we get the only time God eating with people. In the New Testament, what happens is Jesus reverses the scene. He eats with us. But instead of us serving him, he serves us. And instead of just eating a beautiful meal here, we actually dine on him and what he's done for us. And every Christian, can, we can stop for a second and realize that that is what happens in the Christian life. God shows up. And, you know, just think about it like this, to lift your eyes to that for a second. Lift your eyes to that. That God wants you to know that he's not just a God in your life. He's your friend. He's come into closest relationship with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this prepares us to receive his promises and hope. It's it's well said. I'm going to transition if you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying I'm that. I'm ready. So <laughs> it is interesting. Like the the part of the text that we're covering today is that that's actually the longest section, but of the text. But I think we might spend more time on on the last part, which would be verses. 9 through 15, because this meal is really preparatory for this. I want to just read it. And then I want to talk about how about laughter. And I want, I think we can really divide this laughter up into three, three, look at it in three different ways. Like, where does the laughter come from in Sarah's life? We'll we'll look at that. Um, Then how God, uh, what God does with that spiritual state that that Sarah was in and then finally the the purpose the purpose for it but let me just read this second part um where is your wife they asked so this is all after the meal had been served there in the tent he said then one of them said I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him 
Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she, as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year. Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, and so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, this is just a little interesting side note, but a lot of liturgical pericopes cut that last verse out. Yes, they do. Because they don't want to end on a negative note where Sarah lies to God. <laughs> but she, she does. Um, <laughs> I just think, <laughs> Timothy, I one of my practices is um, I read the Bible once a year, just for me, once a year. And every time I come to that little line in the Bible, it just makes me laugh. Like, it's just so funny. Sarah lies, and then God just calls her on the carpet, and it's so clipped. Like, the dialogue is so <laughs> clipped. I just love, yes, you did. <laughs> And then that's the end of it. It's just really good. Really, really good. Um, Timothy, you had a nice little outline laid out for us, and I don't want to disturb it too much. But as you can tell, apparently I'm on a war path today. And I want to just bring up one, one a marriage topic that, that you referenced earlier that I, that I, I think we can handle here at the, at the top of the top of this. And then we can, we right. can dig into the major motif here of laughing. And one, one thing that's really, um, we want to, let's just read this by our Bible sensitively like Peter. One of the things that's so interesting about the scriptures, it, it's um, an ocean uh, in, in a thimble full of scripture. And in this case, Peter does an entire commentary, a Petrine commentary on one word. Um, and that's the word Lord or master um, that, uh, by which Sarai talks about her her husband, and there's a tremendous um, Peter. Peter talks about that, and, and he, I think a lot of a lot of um, Christian moms maybe don't even realize they're doing this. But every time a Christian mom um, says to a Christian daughter, daughter, um, you know what's really most important? It's not it's not that you look. Um, have the right makeup. It's not that you have the perfect clothes and it's not that you have the right jewelry on and all that stuff. It's not how you look on the outside that's most important. But what's what's most beautiful about you, my daughter, is the is the heart that God has given you by faith. And I've sometimes I hear my wife talk about that with my own daughter and I'm always moved by that. And this is exactly what Peter says about Sarah here that she has a beautiful heart. And I think, Timothy, this is really a really a big deal, especially for Sarah, because as we've learned about Sarah, um, and I don't, I don't mean this flippantly, but she was, uh, she was a cover girl. She was a beautiful, like on the exterior, she was coveted. We know this. She was coveted by, by Pharaoh, like uh, the world's superpower at this time. And so she's a, on the exterior, just, just a beautiful woman. But she is praised in scripture, not because of 
how she looks on the outside, but who she is on the inside, how she lives by faith. And here, um, Peter praises her that she's she's got girl power. And in the Bible, mm-hmm. um, she's strong and she does not give in to, in to fear. So she has true biblical girl power and um, feminine feminine strength is to not give in to fear. And there's, I think there's a lot of fears to me. I, we should get a, a woman to talk about this, but there, there are a lot of fears today that I've heard voice from women about what, how fearful it can be to embrace God's calling in life of femininity and um, some of the uh, difficulties that come with that, especially in our world today. But Peter praises Sarah and he says, he says that she has real girl power. She has true feminine strength and dignity um, because what she does is she actually embraces her calling to be a wife. And more specifically, like what Peter picks up on, and I don't think he said it, so I just want to say it out loud, the way that uh, Sarai addresses her husband is she says, um, my Lord. And yeah, so just to say that out loud, and, and then Peter repeats that in the New Testament, that um, the same teaching as Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a beautiful teaching. Like, here's what Peter says. Rather, it should be that. So he's specifically addressing wives here. And he says it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So other people are not going to appreciate this. And Peter understands that. But but your God will. Um, and he says, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. So the, uh, here's the models in scripture. Um, and then he holds up Sarah. He says, they, they submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called them her Lord. You are her daughter. This is such an interesting line, Timothy. We're not doing First Peter right now, but maybe the Lord will give us space to do that someday. But such an interesting line. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Yeah, there, there's a lot there. and and um. Maybe we should let just let that go with that, just to notice yeah. that the scriptures are are so deep and and wide, and they the New Testament writers will read a story like this and notice like, oh wow, she's a godly wife for for Abraham. But we want to talk about laughter, and um, while Peter Peter praises Sarah here, like, and this is the whole sinner saint mentality. I just want to notice some things about like the other side of her, her spirituality here and her heart, like where her heart is at as she, and I want to focus my comments on her spiritual reaction to um, the promise of a son. Now, this is a very special promise and and for, this is the first time, like they had said before, God had said to them, you, you, you guys are going to have a son. And then Sarah already got included in, in that promise in chapter 17. We'll go back to that later. But now this is the first time where God puts a timer on it. Like he hangs a countdown clock out. He's like, 
within a year. Um, and so that's a big deal. Like if you think about it, spiritually speaking, she should have at least like, um, well, let's see, <laughs> let's see if I get pregnant within three months, you know, but that's, that, that's not Sarah here. In, in fact, we, we get some incredible insight from Moses here. Um, one, because she's in her tent and, and the backs of everyone is to her. And then we're actually going to get this very incredible self-talk. Like that's what we might call it, like what she says in her heart. So this is what she says. And actually, I want to read verse 11 and 12 to set this up. Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Now that that's a very sensitive it's a very sensitive way of saying Sarah Sarah has experienced menopause. Okay? It's 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 a very nice way of saying it like she's she's old, she's not having kids. Now now this is how Sarah this is how she's thinking about it though. So Sarah laughed to herself at God's promise and visitation, by the way. And she thought, now this is what she said in her heart. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? So just a couple of cuts. Just, <laughs> just a cut. So this is, I told Melanie about this verse, my wife, Melanie. She said, you're not going to talk about that in the sermon, are you? I said, it's in the Bible. <laughs> so a couple of different things. Like, first of all, I just want to notice with everybody that Sarah totally denigrates herself. She calls herself, quote, used up, worn out, garbage, something to be thrown away. That, that is not how, she, she doesn't say, I've been through menopause. Um, and by the way, Abraham is old. We'll talk about that in a second. Well, I now have this pleasure. She says, I'm garbage. So <laughs> she, she could have said, I'm a noble woman. I've been blessed with God my whole life. I don't know how this is going to happen. She could have said that. But I've experienced menopause. Yeah. And I still, and God still has things for me. <laughs> so and I, I, I want to press on this. I want to press on this because when God responds to her, he drops all of that negative baggage that, that Sarah, that Sarah has. He, he doesn't say, um, he doesn't refer to her as someone who's worn out, who's garbage, who's useless. Cause that's a, that's a garbage way of thinking about yourself just to say that out loud. Now, the second thing that she does is she makes a jab at Abraham. See, so a lot, now this is really interesting. My Lord is old. Now, so men doesn't, don't have the same problem um, that, that women, like they don't go through menopause, but, but sometimes, you know, I don't know how to talk about this stuff. <laughs> But it's awkward. It's awkward. It is. She is making a lot of people think this, even conservative commentators think that this is a sexual reference to what happens at night. 
and and that what she's actually saying is Abraham's not interested in visiting me at night. And so then she says, well, I now have this pleasure of now a lot of people think, well, I have this, well, I have this pleasure of giving birth. And <laughs> I heard someone joke just because we're laughing about this. Would a would a woman ever say that it's a pleasure to give birth? No, it's well, joy, well, right? It's only joy. a man could think that. Only a man could think that. <laughs> right. Right. So this is why a lot of people go down a different path and think, will I will I have this pleasure of having my husband actually come in at night um, for the purpose of procreation? So, so, so Timothy, this is a very, let me finish, let me finish. <laughs> so this is a very, this is a very bitter woman who in, in a lot of ways is very down on herself and despises herself but also is, is in full attack mode against her husband. Now go ahead. I, I just wanted to finish that thought. He, so I want to make two points. The one is, I, I want to make this observation. She, uh, the Lord is already at the birth of a son. Sarah is so far away from that. She can't, she can't, she, not only can she not imagine a son being born to her in her old age. She can't imagine a moment where that would even become possible. That's where she's upstream from that in, in the act of, mm-hmm. of, of procreation. And the second point I want to make is just, just so you know, like this is not some 2022 um, everything's so sexualized these days. This is a, there's a commentator, very conservative, um, old old time commentator by the name of Leupold, who actually translates this verse like this. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, "After I have become worn out, have I enjoyed sexual delight, and my Lord too is an old man." This, so here's this respected conservative Old Testament professor who is reading this text and saying. Obviously, Sarah is far up. She, he's, she's upstream from their, the possibility of a son to even the possibility of um, a procreative act taking place between um, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, so that's, that's where she's at, spiritually speaking. Yeah, spiritually, she's bitter, she's hopeless, and she laughs the laugh of, of complete and utter cynicism. That's what this laugh is. It's a complete and utter hopelessness and cynicism. And I, you know, I want to just at least pause and reflect on this with people and and just do some application for a second. I'm a Mets fan. We are crushing it this year. But if you know anything about our franchise, um, we have this belief in our team that they're always going to blow it. That's the Mets fan. Like we're just going to somehow they're going to screw it up. And we, we already made the playoffs, right? But the, just last week, the Mets um, got swept by the lowly cups at city field. And everybody's saying it's over. They're tanking, you know, and so I want to put, I want to help put our finger on the places where um, we have, 
laugh this laugh and we felt this bitterness and this hopelessness in our life. It's not in every part of our life, but trust me when I say it, we all, it, some people even have these mantras, like a lot of us, like something happens, like that's because I'm garbage. That's what we say, I'm a failure. You know, that's because I'm useless and I'm used up and I'm old. And we we fail to see, that, like we're, we're just done with it. We. We can't believe that God could give us contentment. We, we, we fail to see that, that God could, can use us, you know? And so we, we fall into, in different places of our life, um, bitterness and hopelessness, and we just give up. That's, that's Sarah here. Let me, let me, I want to take this one step further, and then I want to move to the next part in, that you laid out for us. Here's the deal with the despair. Here's what's so devilish about despair. Nobody understands this. I, 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 too few people. Too few, few people do. Hope is painful, and despair can prov- provide relief. See, hoping means that you still have to embrace the pain of what you've lost or what you don't have in the moment. Cynicism and despair are a way of protecting your heart from a hope that you're not sure, sure will be fulfilled. It's a coping mechanism. You cauterize your own heart. You stop hoping. Um, the only reason I know that is because I, I, stopped, I stopped hoping for some time in my life that, that I would have kids. And this isn't, the same, this isn't the same thing because this is the promised child. Um, but one way to stop yourself from feeling the pain of um, a lost hope in your life is to stop hoping altogether and not allow yourself and not open yourself to hope at all. That's the devil's work. He tries to show you that despair is better because then you don't have to hurt anymore. That's, that's well said. Now, the Lord, I want to move on to how God deals with this, this bitter uh, laughter of, of Sarah. And it is, it is so kind, and yet he is going to press her. So um, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Now, there's a couple of ways that that's gracious. First of all, he is not going to engage Sarah with her bitterness and also her disparaging of Abraham. He, he's just not, he ignores it completely. He's, he's not going to talk about it. He's not going to let, he's not going to engage Sarah on her level of disparaging herself. He's not going to let her disparage Abraham either. Instead what he's going to do is go directly to the cause and, and say, why did you, why did you laugh? So he does not give back Sarah's full quote. That's really gracious. The second thing I want to notice is that, and the Lord does this often to people who are despairing, who need a little bit of rebuking and and correcting so that they can see again and hope again and laugh again, is he uses questions. He could have just came at her and, and just mauled her with words. and. Um, came at a full preaching of the law, you know, but he's just going to ask questions. Why are you laughing? I'm not. 
In fact, he's going to re-repeat three times the same promise. I'm coming back next year. You'll have a son. I'm not laughing about it. Why are you? It's very gracious, you know? It's very gracious. And then he asks a gospel-loaded question. And it, I really think this is for, was for her to consider. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Hmm. Like He's like, Sarah, can you even put one thing on the list? No. <laughs> like, that, that is a gracious visitation to turn things around. Where I want to show you the things that things really did turn around. Not right away, because Sarah's going to laugh. And that, by the way, is another gracious. I should add this. this it's very gracious, because he says, yes, you did laugh. What does that show to Sarah right there? He's omniscient. He knows everything. It's just God we're talking about. So, like, I, I'm sure she had to think that through. Like, he knew that I laughed. He gave this promise. Like, can you put two and two together? This is happening, Sarah. Very gracious. He's he's going to give her a son, but he's also going to give her a new heart. That's right. I mean, come on, Jonathan. What else, what else can we say? This is this is very gracious. I I think you we can say this. Like I'm, you you were analyzing. You did such a great job analyzing the Lord's response. I'm I'm even upstream from that just with this observation that God listened to her heart. He listened to her heart. And that tells us, that tells us two things, not one. Uh, here we live, my, my wife and I and, and my daughter, we went to uh, Applebee's recently and my daughter's singing that Applebee's song, you know, date night, country song or whatever. On the way in. Oh, you gotta <laughs> pull it up on Apple Music. It's, it's like another Culver's thing. <laughs> and anyway, I look around where Applebee's and I look around the restaurant, everybody's on their phone. Everybody's just they're not even paying attention to each I'm making a point here. Um, one of the most profound acts of love that we can offer each other is to listen. Not, not to, not to, you know, process our own thoughts in the background while somebody else is saying something. Not to, not to think about what we're going to say back to whatever somebody's saying, but actually to attend to another person in love, to to know their fears and and their hopes and and their dreams and their griefs and their pains. Here you have the clearest, such a clear example of. God listening. And he loved it's just so much grace here, Timothy. I'm adding on to that. Um, but then the second thing is, is God listened to her heart. You talked about omniscience. Here's something only God can do. If if God can reach down into the depths of Sarah's heart um, by this act of listening. He can do the same thing and plant a seed in there and bring new life. I, I, I tell people this, um, 
in order for a person to dare to hope, you have to know two things about God, not one. Two things about God. Number one, you have to know that he cares. Number two, you have to know he can do something about it. So you have to know if he doesn't care, then he's not gonna he's not gonna do anything about it, even if he can. If he can't do anything about it, he can care, but he can't do anything about it. But if he can care and do something about it, then you can hope that he will. And God gives Sarah both in one statement. He cares about her and he lets her know I can do something about it. Is anything too hard for God? It's not too hard for him to love somebody who obviously needs his grace. And it's not too hard for him to plant a seed in her womb when obviously her heart needs that seed just as much as her womb does. Now, I want to, I just want to be clear here about, about what this means for us. Like, I, I want to just pause here for the places we talked about the places in our hearts where we're bitter and in despair, where we're total cynics. And I want to make clear that this doesn't mean that God's going to do uh, what you're hoping for. Keep in mind that God had made a specific promise to Abraham and Sarah. So the, the better application would not be well, that means I can play in the NBA one day because you said God can do anything, right? Or that I could be the president one day. I don't know why you'd want that job. I guess kids do. You know what I'm saying, right? So what we want to do is look for God's promises to us in the Holy Scriptures, and then we can know without fail that he's going to keep them. And so... Really, the better application of this text is, is this. It's the more mundane things in life. Like, where in your life are you not content? Do you really believe that God can bring contentment? So a lot of times, I don't think we do. But he can. And he will. He promises to. Or like, uh, where in your life do you need patience? God's promised to pour out his Holy Spirit on us. He can and he will. Or wisdom. You know, he says, I will pour out wisdom on those who ask for it. These are the things that we can count on God to give abundantly. And I think sometimes we feel in despair that he's going to give it. Uh, So I want to. I want to build on what you're saying by giving our listeners some categories. I figure there's three different kinds of hopes. There's what I call baseless hopes. That's like, I'm going to be in the NBA or um, I'm going to be president one day or something like that. I call those baseless hopes. doesn't mean it's, it can't happen. Like it could happen. God is really good. It's possible, but it's really unlikely. They're base, In other words, they're baseless hopes. They don't have a foundation. Secondly, there's what I call hopeful hopes. Hopeful hopes are hopes that you know that God wants you to have um, because God says they're good things and he loves giving them to people, but they may not be for you. So you can be hopeful, like maybe it'll happen, um, but maybe it won't. And you can pray about it, 
and you can ask God, but he, he may or may not decide to give it to you like a spouse or a child or the job you want or something like that. I call those hopeful hopes. It's not that it's wrong to pray about them or think God might give it to you, but they're not, they're not the last category, which is what I would call secure hopes. Secure hopes are what you were talking about. These are things that God has promised in his word to give you, and he will give it, whether they look absurd or not. And that's what we're talking about, secure hopes. Right. That, that is what, and that, this, this story enters into that third category. Like another one would be um, resurrection from the dead, the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes we can doubt that those things are for us. And, and God's like, is there anything too hard for me? There isn't. There isn't. In, in Christ, there isn't. Now, there, this is where, this is a little bit of a bonus feature. Because we got to pick up. We have to finish the story. This is so interesting. I but think Genesis, we have to. Yeah, I, I would yeah. agree on that. So let me just read this to you. This is from Genesis 21, just to see how this story ends. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? That's the end of the story. (laughs) So there's there's some Mm. really funny things in here, (laughs) like literally very very funny things. And I promised you that we'd see Sarah, Sarah transformed and she is utterly transformed, not only physically, but also spiritually, spiritually. And I want to show you that the first thing that proves this is Isaac's name. It means laughter. So just like Ishmael was kind of a double-edged sword, God, God's um, hears. Isaac's name is going to be a double-edged sword too, because this was always going to remind Abraham and Sarah about that one time, Sarah laughed, the laugh of cynicism that this would never happen. So here, here we got this, this little boy running around and, and Sarah would be like, hey, laughter, come, come on over here. And then this is, I just want to evaluate Sarah's spiritual attitude after laughter is born. She said, God has brought me laughter now that can be translated in some ways but one way to translate it this very loosely in in the hebrew is god has made me laughter (laughs) i wanted i want to explain that a little bit everyone who hears about this will laugh with me so that that the, the the phrase with me is a guess it could mean everyone who hears about this will laugh over me, with me, or at me. 
and really, <laughs> really, really all of those meanings are in play here. It's a big preposition. It's a pregnant preposition. And what's so Ooh, I like cool. That. Yeah. So what's so cool about this then is that Sarah doesn't care anymore. <laughs> She's like, you can laugh with me or at me or over me. I don't care. I'm just laughing because God has given me a son. And then she actually talks about um, why people would laugh with her, over her, or at her. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Now, I don't want to press too hard on this because I don't, I don't want to fall into mansplaining or something like that. But um, it is... It would be funny, <laughs> to say the least, to see a 90-plus-year-old woman nursing. What is she doing? <laughs> you know, if, nobody, if nobody knew the circumstances, right? So there, there's something truly ironic about that. And, and Sarah's like, I'm good with it. Laugh all you want with me, for me, at me, over me. God's good. Well, that's the, a transformed of, woman right there. Yes, it is. One of the things that we can recognize about when we uh, interpret texts is that occasionally, 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 we bump into situations where um, the, the language is actually um, ambiguous and that preposition's ambiguous in its sense. And this opens up to us possibilities. And it's possible that sometimes that ambiguity is, is meant to be, I say that it's generative. It, it's actually, it actually meant to help us generate the possibilities. So because there's multiple possibilities, some people are gonna laugh this year and say, wow, this is so amazing. You are, you are 90 and you're holding a little baby in your arms. And other people are going to go, um, hey, um, check out that lady who just brought her kid to kindergarten. Whoa. <laughs> and they're be like, whoa. And so it, I think that in this case, you can make a pretty good case for saying that there are going to be a diversity of, of reactions, but what they'll have in common common is laughter um, in different forms of it. And I, and I think that that's helpful for us in, in our lives too. I read a, a cultural commentator that um, he was complaining about comedy today, how it's not funny anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not an expert on those things. I don't know anything about it. I don't listen to comedy. Um, but this co cultural commentator was, was commenting about how um, nothing's funny anymore. And uh, the, the point of the article that I thought was helpful um, was that he made the observation that comedy and laughter is not possible outside of a hopeful framework. And you, you referenced that, here's this lady, she stopped laughing, she, which, which meant she lost her hope. You can't, you actually can't laugh unless you have hope. Not, otherwise, everything's serious. 
everything seems like if this is how life is, like we should just cry all the time. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't, but if there's more to life, if God has hope for us, if he has a future for us, if this isn't everything for us, then we can we can actually be pretty light on our feet these days. And we can say this like this is absurd, but I can laugh about who I am. I can laugh about what's happening in my life. I can be I can be light on my feet. That's how one pastor I know um, puts it. Because while I know that uh, this is painful the way it is right now, I can laugh. I know something better is coming. It's Jonathan. I don't, I don't. This is absolutely absurd. Like it's almost like Sarah, like paints a portrait of herself. This this very aged, um, ninety plus year old woman with with a baby, and she's she's nursing dear Isaac, and it's just it's just absurd. But the reason why it's there is for our faith to rise up. And in this way, that God always keeps his promises, especially when there's opposition to them, especially when it seems like he can't or that he won't. God always keeps his promises. And this, this, this picture only pales in comparison to, to a, a, a greater picture, which is Christ our Lord, who was born without the help of a man. That's absolutely absurd who God himself takes on flesh, teaches authoritatively. He's out there changing the world, touching the sick, healing the blind. And then all of a sudden, this same guy in absurdity of absurdities allows himself to be hung on a cross, die for the sins of the world, and then three days later rise again. God keeps his word. Is there anything he can't do? And, and what, what, what I want to help move you, to, like planning these absurd pictures in, in front of you today so that you can laugh again. Like to, to walk a little bit lighter, to walk, um, to let yourself laugh at your own foibles, um, your own hopelessness, and be like, God's got this. Go home and laugh. Sarah gave birth to Isaac to give birth to laughter in our hearts. That's it. And don't forget this. Don't forget this. Here we have a story of hospitality, a story of promise, a story where um, God and his angels come and one of the believers receives him in faith and in love with a beautiful feast. But God um, and his angels are going to get received in Sodom in a very different way. And that's going to come next. Hot on the heels. Yeah, that's the next thing that happens. They get up and they head on down to Sodom. That's next week. For now, hope. The child came. Another child came. A more impossible birth. A virgin. A Jesus. Hope in him. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to www.thenotable.com.